RA Exchange. Hey, welcome to the RA Exchange. I'm Chloe Lula, the Exchange's senior producer. Today, I have the great pleasure of presenting an interview that I hosted with the UK duo Disclosure, brothers Guy and Howard Lawrence, a few weeks ago. Many listeners of this podcast likely associate Disclosure with the hits that shot them into the spotlight, like their debut LP Latch, which they released when they were only teenagers still using fake IDs. These had a good deal of crossover success with the underground, and the Lawrence brothers went on to have an extremely active touring career and secure a Grammy. But there's much more to Howard and Guy than pop anthems. They just came out with their fourth album, Alchemy, under the pretense that they wanted to move away from some of the big tunes that defined the first part of their career. Instead, they did no marketing or PR, choosing to self-release and share the word via announcements on their social media pages. Alchemy is full of beautiful melodic interludes, field recordings, and oblique references to the personal experiences that shaped the making of the songs. It was composed during a moment of intense heartbreak and upheaval for Howard, a narrative that weaves its way throughout the album. It's it's just Howard moving through the world. Like, it's me as his brother thinking about him uh, re- meaning these songs, you know, and, and trying to link them up with putting him in certain spaces, you know, like, uh, yeah, feeling lost, like looking for love. He's going into a restaurant trying to find some friends. He's not looking for a new girl or anything. He's like, I'm fucked. I need some help. Mm-hmm. I'm lost in the world. It's as simple as that. It's very, it just sets the scene for me in, in each song to link them up. Um, simply won't do. Mm-hmm. He gets on a flight to LA. He, he literally did this. He went out to LA to start writing the whole album and he was feeling completely lost and his circumstances simply won't do. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that, you know, it's just all little, very personal, brotherly things that we had going on. Um, And so each one is Howard slowly progressing through heartbreak, eventually to something more positive. We went deep on this period of Howard's life, talking about writing music based on intuition and how the brothers lean on each other for support, both creatively and personally. We also talked strategy. The duo claimed that when they first released music, they were wanting to follow in the musical footsteps of artists like James Blake and Burial. But when they ended up with something totally different, they accidentally ended up on the charts. There's been some strategy to their decision-making that's followed, and they talk about how they navigated record contracts and managers, visually finessed their performances to appear more like live bands, exchanged EPs for page follows when they kicked off their career, and started a Discord server to connect directly with their fans. I listened to Disclosure when I was first getting into dance music and came of age as they started making it big. So it was really great to chat with them about how they got here and what makes them the versatile artists they are. Thanks so much for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Here is Howard and Guy. It's great to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Totally. Yeah. Nice to be here. Thanks for thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, so where are you calling me from? It looks like you're in a very nice studio. We are. We're in our friend's studio. Uh, this is Jimmy Nape's studio, who kindly lets us use it when he's not here. Okay, nice. Is that in London? Yeah. Yeah, it's in Camden, roughly. Okay, nice. But you're both living in different parts of the world, right? So my understanding is that, Howard, you're in 
Sussex, but Guy, you're in LA. That's pretty much the case. Yeah. Guy I mean, moves around a lot. I, I, it's hard to know where Guy lives. I haven't been in LA for five months. Yeah. But, so, but you are planning on living there you know, again. So. I just don't live anywhere. Yeah. I'm a bit like all over the place right now. Um, I did live in London for um, eight or nine years, but um, I sold my house last year and I guess, yeah, I was renting in LA. So the only place I could say I was living was there. Mm. But you know, like if you go from owning a house to then renting, you just feel like, oh, I'm just here for a bit. Like I'm not actually yeah. here. So yeah, I don't have like a long-term plan to end up in LA or anything. It's just really good for work and really good in the winter when oh, it's yeah. rainy November yeah. here. So, you know. I I can imagine. Yeah, I'm from California, so I... okay. You know, you know I yeah. although apparently yeah. this weekend it was probably not the time to be there. The earthquake, hurricane. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a full circle moment for me to be speaking with you since I was really into your first couple of albums when they came out like 10 years ago. Oh, awesome. thanks. So, Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on Alchemy. It's your Thank fourth you. studio album. Came out last month. I think it's a really nice step away from some of the more pop and collab forward work you've put out in the past, not to say that it's bad, but it is really different. So how have you been feeling about its reception since it came out? Yeah, it's definitely that. It's it's an album full of just us. Like it's the most disclosure thing we've ever made, probably, just because it's very that there is a there's no like really major label telling us what to do. Not that they really were before, but there's definitely none now. Um so yeah, and there's no there's no featured guests, and that's because it's just you know coming from a very personal place for Howard lyrically. So it didn't really feel right to have anyone else sort of sing these songs. You know, we did discuss it, but it, we never actually even got to the point of trying to sort of say, "Hey, person, like you know, we've written this song. Will you now deliver it?" You know, it just felt a bit more right for Howard to do it, even though you know it's like in the past we've obviously done that a lot, and I think people know us a bit for doing that and discovering new artists through us it's never our sort of intention to be the sort of bringers of pe you know people into the into our fan base it's just we do enjoy working with other people but for this album because it was coming from a real place like stuff that had really happened with howard's life uh, it just felt like the right moment to to do that yeah i wanted to talk about that because in mm. the press release you said that it was the album came from two very different moments that you were going through in your personal lives. So Guy, you were in LA and getting married and kind of, I, I don't want to say settling down because I don't actually know what your, <laughs> your situation is. And it seems like you're traveling a lot, but uh, Howard was simultaneously going through this kind of intense heartbreak and living in the countryside in England. So can you talk more about how alchemy is an expression of that? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, at the base of it, it was i i started writing the album uh in demo form uh sort of the middle of last year something like that and then and and the songs were as you say inspired by heartbreak um and i was writing them not really knowing if it was going to be for release or if or, or if i was just writing them for my own sanity um and then i my two friends max and donny uh, offered to help me record those demos so I recorded them with them and then those demos are what I showed to Guy. Um, and they were quite heartfelt, you know, ones like looking for love. There were a few that didn't make the cut, but they were all sort of from that same place. Mm. Um, and yeah, so, so Guy then took my lead on that and was like, all oh, right, we're doing an album like this. And so then kind of came up with his own um, demos 
in Guy's way. Where, I mean, when Guy makes demos, they sound finished immediately. So it's a bit. <laughs> but, um, when I make demos, you know they're demos. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, so like that's uh, that's kind of the way it came out. And like Guy said, we weren't really planning on on any of these albums, like kind of being any particular way. We just make music all the time, and they end up sounding different ways. And for the first one, we did a few features. The second one, we did loads. The third one, we did loads. This one, we did none. It, none of that was planned. It was just like back when we made Caracal, there were loads of artists in London who we wanted to work with. And now we've either worked with all of them or they've all moved to LA or something like that. And so <laughs> we've run out of people. So we were like, well, I'm enjoying, or at least I'm able to write a lot of ideas on my own right now because um, I've got something to write about, you know? Like that's something that a lot of people who aren't musicians don't know and i think it's quite interesting to talk about is when you go into a music session writing with someone that you've never met before the first thing that you do is say like right so what's the deepest thing you're going through at the moment that we can maybe get a song out of yeah it's like person i don't what, know. yeah yeah what a strange <laughs> thing to do like go into a room with a bunch of strangers or a stranger and just be like here's my deepest most vulnerable place yeah totally. um can you mine anything out of that, that that could become a song you know it's like it's a bit of a weird process and it's something that i'm definitely um no, we're comfortable doing both, like doing it alone or doing it with people. Um, but for the last record, it just it was flowing uh, more solo, so we we followed that. Hmm. Yeah, I really like how stripped back and pure it feels compared to the last couple of things that you put out. I also wanted to ask about because there were some decisions you made around alchemy that departed from your past output, both I mean creatively, but also from a strategic point of view. Mm. You did very little PR ahead of the album like you didn't tease any None. songs why did you elect not to go for traditional marketing with this well i think that this album sort of crept into our lives without us really planning on it like with the last ones we really knew we're going to make an album and we're going to do singles leading up to it and then we're going to tour it and that's our business this album just didn't really sit like in our business model if that makes sense um it really it really was like more of an inevitable thing where like the album now just exists do we actually just choose to just keep it for ourselves because it's much more about just the two of us making music and enjoying it more than anything um and it was a it was an enjoyable but mostly like rewarding experience because of how it was being made like with howard not being in a good way it was much more of like an interesting experience as brothers writing it We've always um, kind of taken pride in the fact that we make music for ourselves. You know, like we've we've tried to never um, serve up what we think people want because the, the one because that rarely works, and two because it kind of goes against everything we believe as music fans. You know, I hate when artists do that, and you can always tell. And um, oh, totally, yeah. And so this one, you know, we can honestly say it's it's shamelessly self indulgent. <laughs> um, you know, we've done this for ourselves, and like we. Before it came out, like I had a bit of a wobble, like, oh, what if no one gets it and it hasn't got singles and there's no features, blah, blah, blah. And Guy was like, well, it doesn't really matter, mate, because like, one, we've poured our hearts and souls into it. And so that's the best we can do. So either we just let it rot and we listen to it or we like to see if people hate it and that'll be fun. And it turns <laughs> out they don't. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. Because you've had a couple of really hit releases. So I imagine that you must feel some kind of pressure to deliver. Because it's not like you're in the, you know, I operate in the underground music scene where it's like you can be putting out EPs all the time that are kind of more like, yeah, underground club bangers. Like you're not necessarily making music to make hits. And it's a really different environment to be creative in, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, I guess the whole sort of, yeah, we've been doing it for so long now. We've 
got nothing left to prove that we can make a hit. But I think the important thing to remember is like every hit quote we've made, we never wrote it to be one. You know, we never go in the studio and write, let's write a hit. And then another day, let's write some underground. We just make music every day and we love doing it. And sometimes mm. it goes that way and sometimes it goes on someone else's project, you know, like uh, many other people we've, we've written songs for mm. that aren't as disclosure or, or whatever. They just find a home um, and each release just exists in the world kind of as it should inevitably. Um, the main difference with this album though, I think in terms of, like the thing to remember as well is I, a big part of why we've had hits like very popular songs on the last records have been because we've gone out and toured the fuck out of our <laughs> records. Okay. And this time we haven't done, we did a show in a pub, like that was it. So it's very different. Like the aim of the whole thing was very different. Like Howard was very clear that he was like, you know, we did 150 shows last year. That takes its toll, especially if you're going through something. So it was, it, we were always just going to sort of drop this album into a bit of a black hole. Um, and it just be for people who really care about us as human beings to listen to the music, feel it out, hear, hear about it. Um, and you know, I'm sure if, and when we do tour again, it'll, it'll sort of be brought back to life eventually, like in the next tour for the next record, maybe it'll be like a double tour or something, but you, you've got to, yeah, it's just like, like how it said, we knew we ain't going to tour it. So, uh, yeah, do we even bother putting it out or do we not? And we decided, yeah, let's put it out and just see what happens. Because it's also quite good to like just know where we stand like with our fans as well, you know, without doing any promo. It's almost like a data collect because it's like you're not doing any radio, you're not doing any, you're not, you're not doing anything other than hitting up your email list and your immediate social media followers, some of who are engaged. And you're not going out and basically being the billboard for the album, which is the show and the festivals. So it's actually kind of cool to like know, you know, how the how our diehard fans feel about if we just drop a whole record into the abyss. And I think that's just because we like doing we like doing it different every time. Like we've done so many different release strategies, some of them with major labels, with loads of billboards and selling our souls to interviews. And then some we've done a song every day for a week, you know, and people don't really know what's happening and then out of nowhere there's oh there's an EP there now. And this time around we thought we'd do the whole Here's an album and just see what happens. Yeah. It's just this, fun to this whole time. I, I don't know about you, but like this whole time in disclosure, like the last 14 years or however long we've been doing it, we've never known what we're doing. You know, like we've never felt like, oh yeah, now we get it. Now we'll, we'll tactically change what we're doing and it will work and we have confidence. We're just like, oh, we'll try this and see how that goes. And we'll try that and see what happens then. And never really having an expectation of what's going to come from it. Yeah. I just think that at the end of the day, when it's like 30 years down the line, people will hopefully look back and we can look back mostly and, and think, well, we just experimented and did our job as musicians musically and strategically the whole thing. And we just did it on our terms, you know, mm. even though we were signed to a major label, they weren't telling us what to do. It's always been coming from us and mm. we've, we've just given them an album. And they've gone, okay, and yeah. now, you know, it's the same thing. And the only people who really need to sign it off are the both of us. Like, we care a bit about if our friends like it, obviously, and mum. That's about <laughs> it. Like, yeah, yeah. seriously, that's, that's about it. Otherwise, it just stays on the hard drive. And I'm like, I learned something from making that song. That was really fun. Yeah. Um, but, so, you know, like you, like, we, we come from that underground dance scene. Like, that's what inspired us to get into music in the first place um, was, like, that 2009 dance scene of Joy Orbison and Fortet and James Blake and those those people and we we tried to make that and it didn't sound anything like them 
Um, so we failed that tactical move and then we realized like, all oh, right, so when we, when we fuck it up, it actually goes all right. So, so really let's just have a go at everything and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. That's why there's, you know, jungle on this record. It's not like a, we planned that either, but there it is. No, so I it love it. I can, hear, and- I can hear your influences. I've been talking to a lot of people who've been pulling from this specific palette. And I remember when that was a big thing, like Hot Flush was really big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All those, like, I mean, that was when I turned sort of 16 and got my fake ID, which never failed. Mm. I mean, Howard was way too young to get away with fake ID. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I was just about there. And that was what was on in the clubs. You know, mm. that, was, that was my time. Mm. You, you know, the first time you go out to the club, that whatever's popping at that time, I think you always look back with a beautiful memory in mm. time and yeah it was people like james were, were djing it was before he was even singing mm. and he had like yeah hot flush and uh a lot of those labels from from leads that were popping off as well hemlock and actually i don't know if hemlock's from there but yeah like anything that was run by like pearson sound and ben ufo and midland and all these people it was such an exciting time for music because mm. it was the transformation of dubstep from uh something that was extremely original sounding but nothing like i thought i would ever want to be involved with making it was the transition of that to like oh i actually do see a world where i could put down my drumsticks and get like a laptop and make me like make electronic music now Mm -hmm. and i would sort of tell howard about these nights i was going to and bring all that exciting music to him and he was like this is fresh as fuck well yeah because for me music's all about harmony um yeah like la- a large part of it is to do with the harmonic side for me I, you know i don't mind as much about production i focus more on that and that was the first time i'd heard dance music which was interesting harmonically was people like james blake and mark Kimby because they were just using unusual chords um but it came from like you know james has a very musical background and i mean a lot of those artists do and like Forte always picks really musical samples. And so when Guy came back and played me like these dubstep things, I was kind of the same. I was like, that's really original, like this sort of just bass and drums thing, but it didn't interest me in trying to make it because it wasn't that yeah. like experimental uh, harmonically. And so then when I heard someone like Burial, I was like, ah, okay, cool. So Guy, if you can make a drum beat, I'll make some cool chords and maybe it's, maybe it'll be cool. Yeah. Um, and it sounded nothing like that. It sounded nothing like it. Yeah. We didn't even <laughs> get close, but people liked it. So. It was enough to get us rolling. Yeah. I think that's the key when you're starting out, you know, you just, just copy as many people as you can that you like and uh, you won't do a good job at it, but something original will emerge because mm. it's you doing it. Mm. And then the more you sort of realize then, okay, well, whatever I aim at, it's in there like a bit, but it's not really and then i found this actually this other thing that yeah I'm quite that's, good at. that's what i, I was trying that. to get at saying like we don't really aim at stuff is because we've mm. learned over time that you can't you know like we wanted to be part of that that dubstepy post dubstep whatever you want to call it scene and we tried that and, and became like pop stars we were like <laughs> damn it okay right let's try something else <laughs> that wasn't what we meant at all yeah <laughs> On that note, I know it seems like you you both bring really different things to the project, and you also seem to have quite different personalities. I was reading an interview that you gave with The Guardian a couple of years ago, Mm. and the author was saying that, Guy, you have a really strong affinity for dance music and clubbing, whereas Howard, you have kind of an aversion to crowds into clubs <laughs> do you do you find that your differences really help or hinder your creative 
relationship. Definitely help. Yeah, for, help, sure. for sure. Yeah, no, that that's kind of true. Yeah, Guy like was the one who went out and discovered all the dance music by clubbing. Um, whereas, like you said, I was too young to do any of that. Yeah, stuff. I think it was just the age difference. Yeah, um, mm. but at the same time, I wasn't really listening to dance music at all. Like, I was into like emo rock and stuff like that pop punk and things and i was listening to like skrillex's band before he was skrillex um from first to last like i was an emo kid um and so yeah that i never really got into club culture other than when we were playing in clubs you know that was my taste of what that is um and so i know club culture very well from that side of the decks but i never really go um which is you know probably does make me quite naive to to what club music should sound like but i think that's actually a strength you know because I, when we made our most successful songs, I had no idea about any dance music, and I was listening to like Steely Dan. Um, so I'm just gonna keep doing that. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I would say yeah. I mean, I, I my knowledge of dance music is definitely greater than Howard's. For sure. So, yeah. um, and that that's but his knowledge of harmony is greater than mine. But what I would say is yeah, if someone's listening who's like forming a band or something, like don't form one with a bunch of people who are like you and similar yeah, to because yeah. they're not gonna bring anything that you can't do already. You know, you want to try and find someone who you obviously get on with very well. Your, I mean, your own brother's a unique one, but like someone who's going to bring the missing piece of the pie. You know, mm. otherwise you just end up sort of. I was I was in a, a couple of bands before doing Disclosure, and I was just so overbearing on the whole band. Like I was, I was the drummer. And I'm like, you know, synth guy, you do this. Guitar guy, you do this. And then you know, I was producing the demos and getting so much pleasure from making demos and mixing them. I was just like. I should be a music producer because yeah, yeah, I get yeah. to do all of it then. And, you know, that will, that will be my job. And so that kind of is how I feel in Disclosure sometimes, especially on the latest record. It's Howard's songs and demos, and I'm sort of polishing them and finessing them and, and finishing them. Um, and then adding a couple of my own tunes too, which is honestly very similar to how we did the first record. Um, yeah, and it's become, I think, both of our favorite way to write yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you send each other stems back and forth then? Or like, what is your process usually like? For, for this last record, it was, um, like I said, I'd go and record demos with my friends, Max and Donnie. Um, and I think I recorded about 40 rough demos and we're talking really rough. Some, some more finished than others, but like all of them sounded terrible in terms of production. <laughs> Um, sorry, Max and Donnie, but they, they I don't, don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> Looking for love is still quite similar to how it was. Yeah, no, that, some were more done than others. Some were like, I just really wanted to experiment, you know, like I had all these feelings and I was just very inspired. A lot of ideas um, were coming into my head and like they didn't give a fuck about genre, you know, like an idea would come in and one would be like a really slow R&B thing. And then the next day I'd write a blues song and then the next day it'd be trance. And it was just like all over the place. But every time I did it, it felt good and it felt like something unique came out. Um, And I think that's when you got a really like uh, strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, and he was quite secretive about all these demos and ideas too. Like I, yeah. he weren't, he wasn't sending me stems or anything. It was like I'm gonna keep doing this until I've got some that I'm pleased to play you. And yeah. then he came round my house and just sat me down and played me like maybe eight or nine things. And and then I made some notes and I was very sure that these three were excellent and I'm gonna work on those or four actually. Mm-hmm. And then um, that was. Looking for love, little bit, go the distance, brown eyes, and brown eyes, yeah. I think. And then, yeah, we had, and then I had my 
sort of three songs come together soon mm-hmm. after that because I, I was very inspired by Howard's demos not just to finish those but to then kind of you know serve back something yeah that he would like I think yeah. it was the first time like you know as, as much as we love energy and had a great time um with the artists making them and stuff it was very like um what's the what's the word i don't know it was very collaborative you know i would say like we we purposefully wanted to include those artists visions in the songs as much as possible um and with this one it was the first time for a while an album or two that the ideas were unique and unique from us you know like these were sounds and sort of uh creative versions of what we do that we haven't tried before um and it was entirely original from us which we haven't really tried to do since settle i don't think yeah okay yeah there's a couple of tunes on settle where it's entirely just me or just howard Mm -hmm. because the other person wasn't required as much to 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 finish it yeah um and i think we forgot that's how we actually used to do things Mm. sometimes and Mm. that person's song and idea might inspire you to then go back and do Mm. your own another one yeah for caracal and energy there's none of that every single one is like go into a room with jimmy or another writer sometimes and the artist and write something from scratch Mm -hmm. there and then and I mean, the hit rate of doing that successfully is is like quite low. Mm. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, understandably, right? It's like you're yeah. not gonna <clears throat> you're not gonna nail that every time. Um, I think it's, it, it's great when you're feeling super inspired, and so is everyone else yeah. in the room. But as soon as you've got an imbalance, and you find yourself sitting there, like, right, well, I have nothing I want to write about, and we need a song by the end of the day. Like mm. that's when it starts like draining you. I, th- I found yeah. that very draining. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think people get around this problem by doing what we do, writing their own demos and songs. And then asking someone else to just sing what they've written, right? Mm. That's very common in dance music. Get like 10 vocals of the same song done by artist one, two, three, four, five. I know loads of people who do this. We've just never really thought that's the way we want to do things. Mm. Um, Because we always want the singer, no matter who they are, to really mean what they're singing. And it have come from them too. Uh, not just for like the sort of spiritual vibe of that, but the the delivery too. You know, you write a song in a certain key, it's probably good for you because you're singing the demo. Okay, well then maybe you, it, you decide you want to get a female on the song. Okay, well then you've got to probably raise the key up. It's going to be higher voice. Well then for me, like changing the key changes the whole mood of the song and you start to go down all these little, these problems. And I don't know, yeah, it's uh, it's just not how we've done things. Not, not blocking it out. I think there's a chance we could do that. Um, yeah. I've sure. always been open to to like working with um, singers as singers, not just you know not writers as well. But I think for that to happen in in my mind at the moment, as as Guy said, never say never. But it would be something like getting backing vocals by someone else, or like getting them to re-sing a sample. If we were writing an original yeah. song, I really can't imagine just no. saying like, "Can you sing this whole thing we just wrote?" It just it just feels a bit weird. Yeah. But it happens all the time. Yeah, know? people do it, and there's nothing wrong with it. It just feels weird to me. Yeah, yeah. it's just not. Like, it's not how we enjoy making music. Yeah. And that's the main point, right? I think if you're trying, again, like we said, all the big songs we've made, they weren't made to be big. They were made in the same way as like, mm. whatever our least most popular song is. I don't know what that is, but whatever it is, it was <laughs> made in the that. exact same way. Yeah. It wasn't made in like a, a factory. Do you know what I mean? Where it's yeah. like, okay, we've got 20 demos. This is the most hit friendly. So let's get mega pop star on that. It's just not, mm. it's not how it's happened. Um, and, and I think that's because it's more enjoyable doing it for us the way that we do. Mm. In terms of this album being more personal, there are a lot of field recordings that you have woven in. In the introduction, you hear footsteps and like you're walking into some kind of 
social space, maybe a restaurant. And then there's another song. I think it's the outro of We Were In Love. There's the sound of a dog breathing. And then in Brown Eyes, we hear like flipping between channels on a radio. There's some kind of narrative that you had in mind with these recordings. Yeah, that that is- the, the narrative was made by Guy. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm hesitant to say it because I, I like how abstract it is. And I like that some people might not get what those are doing there. You know, I think some people will listen to the album and be like, what is all that in between the songs? Like, what, what's the point? Um, but I know exactly why they're there and um, why they should be there. And it, it, yeah, I think people should just think about a little bit the link between the lyrics and who it's about. Yeah, and, it's, it's not like super cryptic or anything. It's just like there's a, there's a story going on that, that was the story happening while we wrote the album. Um, in our lives and we've always enjoyed interludes and intros and outros like we we love that stuff we've yeah. done it on what i like about these ones though is that they are they're so open to interpretation yeah but like i know exactly i can when i close my eyes and listen to it i see what i want yeah, to achieve with them yeah you know can yeah. you tell me what, <laughs> what it is you see when you close your eyes <laughs> okay fine well um, yeah it's it's just howard moving through the world like it's me as his brother thinking about him uh, re- meaning these songs, you know, and, and trying to link them up with putting him in certain spaces, you know, like, uh, yeah, feeling lost, like go- tr- looking for love. He's going into a restaurant trying to find some friends. He's not looking for a new girl or anything. He's like, I'm fucked. I need some help. Mm-hmm. I'm lost in the world. It's as simple as that. It's very, it just sets the scene for me in, in each song to link them up. Um, go the distance, you know, he, he get, uh, no, sorry, not go the distance. Um, simply won't do he gets on a flight to la he, he literally did this he went out to la to start writing the whole album and he was feeling completely lost and his circumstances simply won't do yeah, <laughs> stuff yeah. like that you know it's just all little very personal brotherly things that we had going on um and so each one is howard slowly progressing through heartbreak eventually to something more positive um you know hence coming out of the car in brown eyes you know driving getting back to his house, feeling a little bit more optimistic. His phone rings. Yeah. As it's, I said, it's shamelessly self-indulgent. Yeah. The album. No, but that's that's what art is. It's an expression of your inner mm. world. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what everyone says. Um, right. And I, I would say I, I know less about that because I'm not the lyricist and I don't really have to draw as much from that place. Mm. Like I can make a beat whether I'm happy or sad. It will for sure influence the vibe, but... Yeah. I'll do it any day. Um, but I think that's what's that's another thing that's good about our combination is like Guy yeah. is able to be a lot more tactical and like uh thought focused and pragmatic, whereas I'm a lot more feeling driven. Mm-hmm. Um and so for things like that guitar bit before you hear the dog, it's like that was just a thing I kept playing on the guitar throughout the entire writing process. And I never found a spot for it like in an actual dance song that would fit on a disclosure album. But it was so present in my head, you know, like in between writing the verses of one song and another one, that's what was going around in my head. So I was like, well it's obviously supposed to be on the record. So I'm just gonna chuck mm. it on. Yeah. And like see, you know, it's, it's the most it's I've ever seen Howard like follow his intuition with a, a writing process mm. and be very like, I don't give a fuck. Like <laughs> why would you put a little acoustic guitar and a dog there? Well, all you have to do is sort of talk to each other about it for five minutes and you're like, that has to go on, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's the same way I feel about when you're actually sitting writing a song with someone. It's like, it's a known thing as, I mean, I'm sure you know it as well if you've been in sessions and stuff. It's like quite a common line when you're deciding about lyrics is like, oh yeah, I think that's right. And it's like, what do you mean right? Like this whole yeah. thing is subjective. It's like, I think that it should go like this. And then someone else will be like, yeah, that sounds right. 
it's like, well, there is no right or wrong. Um, and so you have to just kind of go with your, your feeling and the feeling was that guitar thing should be on the album. <laughs> so yeah. we put it on. That's it. The whole album is an experiment of like just how much soul and feeling from us can we put on a record that can still make people dance, even though it's from a very sad place. It's a real interesting like juxtaposition and we've not written like that before. And, uh, well, I've, we I don't think we'll write like that for the next album because it'll be a hell of an undertaking to go again. Yeah. But like you know, there is still great pleasure to be had from just making bangers that are just for fun. You know, hundred percent. Mm. But there's also a great learning curve to be had with yourself when you're uh, writing from that place. And so this album was just as much of that as we had at this age to put in there. Yeah, totally. No, I think it adds a lot of dimension to the songs because it makes them feel. They're, like, they're clearly not manufactured. Like there's this a personal element to them. Wanted to talk a little bit about the beginning of your work together. So you both started playing music from quite a young age yeah. and you grew up in a musical household. At what point did you decide that you wanted to work on music together? Or was that always part of your relationship? It was October 7th, <laughs> 2008. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it was um, the scene in the UK in about 2008 and nine was just popping. Like it was mm. so exciting. Uh, there's always something great going on, you know, whether it's grime having its resurgence or, or whatever when it began. Uh, House and, you know, all the way back to the Beatles. We're very good at sort of taking uh, something that exists already and churning it out through our melting pot of a, of a country and, um, you know, putting our twist on it. And for me, the uh, yeah, that time was so exciting that I, like I said, I just couldn't not dip a toe into like what was going on um, with the transformation of dubstep and kind of UK garage into this new thing, and um, yeah, to think that like from that initial step and having like a couple of seven-inch records and finding managers and doing independent releases, all within the next two or three years, then we were we kind of already achieved any goal we had as a band. Like but yeah. basically the goal was like, can we play on boiler room once? Like that would be amazing. It'll be so yeah. trendy. And that like, was wow. Yeah. yeah. And we'd done it by like year two. So we were like, whoa, okay. Anything from here is just bonus time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think we sort of both remembered, we grew up in a very, very singer songwritery household. Like our parents were not into electronic music, dance music. They were into very sophisticated music, like prog rock and, you know, some jazz and just great songwriting. I think we needed to remember that was there and combine that with all these new crazy sounds that were happening in the UK mm. uh, and new genres and whatever and put it all together. And that's when yeah. we really sort of started to find our own lane, I think. And uh, Seal was quite important for me, <laughs> actually. Like, People like Seal. Seal was the first album I ever owned was that uh, 1991 album called Seal. And uh, it is basically the closest thing to disclosure I can think of now. Like it's, it's, it's like house music with really, yeah. really like crazy like harmonically rich songwriting and loads of backing vocals. It's like, that's what we love. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really notice that until quite recently. I was like, looking back, I was like, all right. So my first album, which is my favorite album has definitely influenced us over time. And mm -hmm. I, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess that's natural, you know? Yeah. I think the, we realized quite quickly as well that in, um, in the dance music world, and we're talking like when I'm 18 and he's 15 here. That like uh, people didn't really do albums as well. They did just EPs and yeah. singles. And um, there's a lot of one-hit wonders in dance music too. They have one big crossover and then a really great like underground career, if, you know, if they want to for the, for ages. And so we were just like, 
Well, we have this uh, songwriting sort of history. Of, uh, we hadn't written songs yet, but we had it all locked in from you know years of listening with our parents. Uh, maybe we can do it more than once and just try and keep that going for mm -hmm. as long as we can, uh, regardless of like if, if we have like a big song. It would just be cool to write more conventionally structured verse chorus songs mm. that take up an album um, yeah because as far as we could tell and i i still mainly think this is true you know there weren't many dance albums with singing and you know melodies and lyrics that were musically advanced like i, I couldn't think of barely any there was like burial prodigy like there, there are some from Chemical playing Brothers. around artful dodger like this out yeah. there but it's not a lot. There's yeah. not loads of it. And the ones that are, are our favorite records, yeah. a lot of them. Like, we fucking love the ones that are, you know, the songwriting quote works. It's all subjective, obviously, but it's nice when the melody does kind of have something to do with the chords and the bass lines working. And yeah, that, when someone can do that many times in a career, that is, was very inspiring to yeah, us. Yeah, because there were so many great dance songs that had that, but they were always remixes. You know, it's like, imagine yeah. if I told you that I want you... And all of those. I thought those were all original songs. And then when we looked into it, it's like, oh, no, they didn't write it as yeah. a remix. Oh, no, they didn't write it as a remix. And so we were like, well, we got to start writing some because that's what we want to hear. And we're running out of the ones that exist because yeah. we're listening to them all. That's it. Like the remix culture of take an old R&B song or a pop song. And then maybe the remix is so good, it blows up bigger than the original was. Let's just try and not do that. Let's just try and write the damn thing um, immediately. That was probably the only preconceived plan a bit yeah a bit a bit so yeah, we probably rough. worked that out after we started probably, doing it yeah and it's and so long ago I've it forgotten. The time. Yeah. but i'm proud we did that yeah i think i think i know that it's i know that it's made an impact <clears throat> because people like kerry chandler and todd edwards and etc have said to us you know this is what uh you know we we tried to do like we we tried to write songs over house music and we can all do it a bit <laughs> but like you guys have done it loads of times it's really impressive like so that that's always my favorite you know mm. compliment to get is mm. is from people like that not not just like oh i love that tune but like the way that uh, i'm yeah i'm just very proud that they they like it because they would be included in that group of uh people who've had those huge moments mm -hmm. um but yeah people who do it in album form it's just very uh i've just always associated albums with singers and bands mm. uh not like dance music duos so i guess there was yeah. a little lane there for us to sneak into there was just a lane open and we saw it because like the a lot of dance music albums that exist now, they they the people that are producing it aren't the same people that are writing the songs. You know, they'll get a singer in, and the singer will write the song, and then that person will essentially just produce it, and and that's a dance music album, and that's fine. But what it means is, it's hard to have like a consistency throughout the record because you've got like nine different people writing the songs. So it's it's a it's a privilege to be able to have influence over all of the songs on the album from a songwriting and production perspective, even when we work with various featured artists, you know, um, it still sounds like a disclosure tune. Whereas often what happens with, uh, like, especially, you know, when it was like EDM time is I couldn't tell which artist I was listening to on the radio because it all sounded pretty much the same to me. And then you looked into it and it's like, it's cause it's all written by like Max Martin or someone, you know, it's like, it's written by some amazing songwriter who's just churning them out and giving them to people. Um, and again, like there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not what we want to do. Have you always had a really mutually supportive relationship like this? Or are you ever at odds with each other, <laughs> like personally mm. and creatively? I don't think we were ever at odds with each other. No, like we were pretty indifferent growing up. We were just like, Guy was over there playing drums. I was in the other room playing bass. We just all playing RuneScape and Guy was doing parkour. Or something. And like, 
we just had very yeah. different interests, you know. Like I was out windsurfing, and guy was on land, and then as soon as you went on water, <laughs> I was, I was on like, land. Out. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, I think the our relationship kind of started when the band did, you know. Like we had our brotherly sibling thing when we were kids, but our adult relationship started in the band, and so we've just naturally um, grown to realize, like, one, our strengths and weaknesses, and so we play to our strengths, and like the other person picks up the slack of the weaknesses of the other person. And I think part of uh, the sustainability of being in a band with anyone, let alone your brother is like looking out for each other. You know, like if, if I see that guy's not okay, like we're going to deal with that. We're not just going to be like, carry on. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's common sense stuff. Um, yeah. No, that's great. It is great. And, you know, I feel really supported because uh, I was in a super vulnerable place, like I said, and like, uh, like a lot of, people i was tempted to just sort of please the people around me and just be like right well i'll just keep touring even though i know it's bad for me and i did that for a while and obviously it just got worse and so to be able to um to have the people around me that made me feel confident enough to just be honest and be like i actually can't do this um was was a blessing yeah totally so how were you because your career escalated very quickly you were nominated for a grammy when you were both in your early twenties, my understanding is that you were you were first putting music up on on MySpace. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can plot it out really briefly. So it was yeah, MySpace, and I would say maybe four or five songs made it on there, and that got us our managers. That was key. We've been with the same managers okay. since day one, um, and they also managed Jimmy, whose studio we're in, and Sam Smith. So we're all still like this nice little family. But um, that got us our managers. Super important. And lucky because we didn't know what we were choosing at that point. You know, it's not like a pair of teenagers can choose great managers, but we took a punt and they, they are great and they were great and we're still with them. That's hugely important. But the next step was Facebook was getting big and we got our first 10,000 fans on Facebook by exchanging like the page for an EP. It sounds simple now, but it was really important at the time. Like it got us a fan base, like an email list and a, a place to tell our fans we're doing stuff. Um, that really helped. And then I think the big step that then made it all go from like a fairly upwards curve to just like, oh my God, was uh, we did that remix for Jesse Ware. And we'd only done a couple of singles and an EP for free download at that point. Like, I think we'd done the EP with Greco Roman as well, right? Which Probably. did have like a vinyl release, but it was, it was still very London trendy. We hadn't made it over to the States yet at all. We did that remix for Jesse Ware. And she was signed to, to Ireland. And so that's what got Ireland's attention because it blew up and they just loved it. And I think we may have already written Latch at that point, but not released it. So when we went in to play it to them, they were obviously pretty excited by it. So they signed us and that was our three album deal. Um, so it, after that is when it went mental. Yeah, because then we, we just, there was something in the air at that time and we were just able to basically write all the songs on Settle pretty much back to back with very little spares. Yeah, I think there were like two songs Like left two over. demos, yeah. Like we just did the 10 year anniversary vinyl and I was struggling to think of other songs written at that time that yeah. we could include because there wasn't really anything. So, I remember like we were doing interviews around that time and we kept saying this line, like, it's a good line, but it was like, most acts get 10 years to write their first album and then yeah. six months to write their second, but we only got six months to write our first. Yeah, it's so true. we were just like, this is the norm. And then we went straight into Caracal and did that again. And then straight again with energy. It was just quick, 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 quick. And then with this one, we were like, we're going to really take our time. And we finished it in six yeah. months again. 
But we still have always had the problem of the first album is massive. So it yeah, may as well yeah. have taken us our yeah. whole lives to write, like, because we're always chasing it. But uh, yeah, so that was the, the when it went really mad. Yeah. And, and after the first album came out, we really started to tour hard. I think that's the bit we're leaving out here that's important is aside from deciding we're kind of a band who does albums, we're going to go on stage and look like a band. So like we're going to play live um, and as, as live as we can. Um, and that really came from, um, again, the clubs in the UK. I'd be watching a lot of DJs some night build their set as a live show. And I'm kind of like, what's going on up there? Like, what are they, what are they up to? <laughs> um, like, for sure, it's technical and, and crazy. I've seen people do things with Ableton uh, that blow my mind, like so skillful. But my issue always w- with it was um, if you're at the back of the crowd and someone's doing this and DJing, uh, or someone's doing this and doing a live show, but the crowd, like you've got the musical experience is slightly different, but the visual is all wrong and it doesn't connect in the same way. So I think we recognized I'm a drummer. I play a bit of keys and all right at guitar. Howard sings, plays keys, bass. We've got something here that we should try and use. And yeah, what was interesting is, you know, there's not really any of those instruments in the first Disclosure album. Um, so we never wrote it with the intention of being able to play it live. We'd always write the music as best we could and then panic and figure out how the hell are we going to play these live. Mm. So there's not, there's not bass guitar on... Oh, yeah, right. maybe it's the best way. I don't know. Because you don't, I don't think you should sort of compromise the writing of the album for the sake of the show. I think it's better to, to figure it out later. That's, that's just how we've done it. But that was very key, I think. And definitely our manager's advice as well was, was good with that of, of like, do the live show. You, you aren't DJs. Learn to DJ. But don't be, I think, primarily known as DJs was, was a nice different thing for us to exist in. People know Disclosure, um, at least for the first three whole albums, as this live act that put on a big show and play instruments, and then they'll DJ at after parties occasionally, whatever. And I think the music lent itself well to that, especially with Caracal. I mean, after the second album, that tour went absolutely mental. We were doing arenas, huge festivals, and it made perfect sense to do the live show because a huge variety of tempo was throughout the set. You know, we had a lot more sort of laid back R&B songs on there. Um, it just set, it fitted so well into a sort of more band headline like show where you take like a, a round of applause between songs. You know, you don't do that as a DJ, do you? It's about continuous mix. You know, you don't just go do 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 end and then everyone. It's just but, oh, it, make, it would make mixing much easier. Yeah, it would, it would, yeah. <laughs> press play and press go again. Yeah. So I don't know. We we really liked. We loved bands. We grew up listening to bands. We'd seen. We just thought that's how you play live. And we were even doing that in the early days too. We were turning up to the, the few bookings that we could get. And they were in nightclubs because we were making dance music and we'd turn up and we'd be told to play in the DJ booth. And we'd be like, well, what's the point? You can't see the keys. Howard's bass is like down here. Mm. So once we got the opportunity to finally get on those size stages that we, we could, we thought we're going to fucking go for it. Like we're going to invest so heavily in this show and we're going to tour and, um, you know, make a bit of a difference hopefully and make some make a lot of people happy along the way that was always a, a great part of it was you know it really we were able to play venues that we i don't think we would have ever been able to play uh just as djs because for me the best djs in the world you know that it's they're rare in the sense that they get big just from djing you've got to be so fucking good like usually a dj gets big because they wrote a great song and then before you know it off you go and, and you're on tour 
DJs that I grew up watching were big for just DJing and I'm we're not as good as them. Like we never will be. Like, no way. Like people people like Ben UFO, Jack Master, or even he's making tunes now. Uh one man, you know, these guys were so, so sick at DJing and uh never made a tune. So we were always just like, we'll DJ as for fun and at parties and whatever. Um so that was the whole ethos around the beginning of how we saw ourselves and how we thought we'd sort of move forward with the project. And um, yeah, by the time we got to Caracal and we're doing Madison Square Garden, it was like, what the fuck has happened? Like, <laughs> this is not Boiler Room anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was it like launching into intense touring schedules and nightlife as teenagers? Howard, I know you've written publicly about how the lifestyle took a heavy toll on your mental health mm. at different points. Yeah, I think anyone that's done extensive touring knows how hard it can be. Um, but I think doing it for 12 years is what started to take its toll. <laughs> you know, it's like you can you can go on a three month tour and not get much like not get much sleep and like not look after yourself too well and you, and you'll recover, you'll be fine. But like if you're doing that nine months of the year, every year, you don't you don't recover. You just kind of slowly get worse. And that's what happened to me. And so I had to just take some time out um, to, to recover. But just unfortunately, that coincided with COVID. And then for me, mm -hmm. heartbreak at the same time. And it was just all like way too much. Um, yeah. But, you know, alchemy is why it's called that. Is it's like I, I was like, might as well try and make something beautiful out of this because it was, it sucked, man. Like I had a really, really bad time. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I don't know what it is because it's funny. We're brothers. We're like, cut from the same cloth but i just seem to get on better with it just from a from a neutral standpoint like i just can be jet lagged and you know tired and overworked and just not fall into a, a bit of a pit mm. and it's just luck i think you know I've, I've just always known i'd be all right if i got the chance to tour i've been playing drums since i was three and i always knew i want to be a musician on tour so yeah you're such a performer as well yeah. like you, you really love being on the stage and stuff and i, I always liked it yeah like i liked being on stage but, but what i love is making the music yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and i've always seen like making the music as like that will get us on the road and then yeah. we can do shows <laughs> I, I'm, I'm beginning to change that opinion though more because like you know the older you get i, I don't want to tour like we used to ever again like it was it was crazy mm. it was too much it was definitely unhealthily intense yeah, yeah. but i don't want to not tour so there's a balance to be found mm. um but yeah totally if i'm around you know it's it's full break so it's different but yeah it was uh it was a tricky one to navigate and um yeah, I think the main thing is we did it. Like we we fucking did a lot of shows. We spread the word of disclosure and we gained our our fan base and yeah, I think now, you know, they're all waiting there for us to release music. It's just we need we're trying to figure out now actually a way to spread the word that we have music out without touring because it really has always been our sort of billboard of I mean, what else do you do as a musician, you know, unless you want to be kind of goofy on social media and post loads of stuff about your uh, personal life? there's not really another way of mm. like putting the fact that you've you're releasing music all the time other than your sort of really core fan base because usually you've got i mean you see it all the time now it's so oversaturated instagram a dj's job is getting a guy in the booth to film the back of their head with a crowd in front of them saying the vibes last night were amazing man it's like yeah you can do that every day and it does seem to work like uh it, it spreads the word that you've got things out so i think it's time to try and uh reinvent and find another way uh, of, of doing that 
Um, and it doesn't need to be, you know, huge tours like we used to do. I think it needs to be something more special, like with the pub thing we just did, to be honest. That was mm. fucking wicked. Like, so it was a, a pub in London? Yeah, it was yeah. a pub in London and it was like 800 people, probably 1,200 by the time people stopped jumping the fence and climbing over the pub. But that's what you want, you know. It's like, that was really wholesome and yeah. lovely for us. And it us. was exciting and new. Exciting. Everyone had a great time. Yeah, um, and that's, uh, you know, then you can put that online and that's enough to let people, the world know you've got something coming, right? And we weren't jet lags or... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, keeps Howard, Howard had a good time. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I had a great, <laughs> really good time. If Howard yeah. comes away from it really happy, you know it went well. So <laughs> I think going forward, we're going to try and find a way where we can, yeah, find that balance, do, do something really meaningful and clever um, with it that doesn't, drive us into the ground because mm -hmm. uh, we we did it already you know it's, it's like yeah we just want all of our fans that are out there already to hear what we're up to mm -hmm. um without always having to go there like to show them it directly every single year you know it's there must be another way <laughs> if you know it please tell me <laughs> oh i will <laughs> what is on the horizon for you right now and what are you currently working on mm -hmm. i saw you've been reposting some interesting club music on your soundcloud and i don't know if you're affiliated with oh, it at yeah. all unknown untitled you you rhythm yeah you you rhythm yeah yeah okay yeah i mean I'm, that i do love it i'm a little bit biased though so i'm very 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 good friends with the guy who runs it from school he's an old school mm -hmm. friend okay. of mine so you know it's more of like a help i'm helping him out there a little bit but it is a dope label and i love the concept i think he's doing a really good job of it he started doing nights as well now uh as the label i think and it's like unknown lineups unannounced everything yeah it's it's really cool so full support to that um but yeah i mean i i do try and still champion up and coming music um at the main place i guess people could find that would be our spotify playlist uh disclosures record bag it's called i update that all the time i think it's over 100 hours of music now like it's massive I did take a look at it. It's like a, a healthy mix of some older disco stuff like Donna yeah, Summers, it's but then contemporary electro. Yeah. I mean, Howard's in charge of it too. There's Steely Dan, okay. there's Seal. It's, it's fucking everything. <laughs> so you're best just to hit shuffle and see what happens. But okay. yeah, there's some new and up and coming people on there as well. I mean, I, I really am excited at the moment about the UK again um, and what's going on here with the kind of reemergence of jungle um in certain areas trance like just not even trance like as we knew it but just fucking fast house like i'm really into that at the moment like tempo is up it definitely seeped into our work with the last record it really did unintentionally like, we weren't we didn't set out like we're gonna make a really fast record this time i was just the way i was writing like i said for demos it was generally on my own and i'd just like hum stuff into my phone or like play on the piano and record that into my phone and then when I gave them to Guy, he was like, yeah, you know, these are all at like 138 or like 140 BPM. We normally do 120 something. And I was like, oh, right. And actually I had no idea. Yeah, you're like, that, that sounds really... too slow, bro. Yeah, everything. <laughs> all of our old songs now <laughs> just saying. sound really slow to me. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, we even, for the energy tour, you know, we did still speed everything up. Yeah, yeah. We sped it all lot. up. Yeah. It just feels right. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but um, Speed Garage doesn't sound too speedy to me anymore. This must be what happened right. the first time around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It just sounds correct. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think there's some really exciting shit in the UK going on. Um, at my, like, our wonderful people in the Discord are always sending me, you know, really unknown, smaller artists that I'm checking out. And I try and follow them, give them some love and, you know, give them a way of sending us music. Because, uh, yeah, it's it's still it's still the best place, I think, for, like, people making beats on Ableton in their bedrooms. Like, it's it's exciting for me right now, the UK. It feels alive. In terms of your future output together, are you planning to continue just self-releasing and doing everything on your own terms? Or is that really specific to alchemy? 
Uh, yeah, I think we'll probably take a take a stance on each project as it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, yeah, we just did this one through AWOL, which is great, um, and had a great experience with that. So definitely open to doing that again. Um, yeah, like it's not totally self released. You know, we're obviously still plugging into a system here um, just to sp- spread the word <laughs> really about us doing it. Um, but yeah, just open to everything and all ideas at this point. Like we're, it's very freeing to know that like. If we just made a tune today, like we could just fucking whack it on SoundCloud mm-hmm. again for fun, and no one would say shit. You know, it'd be fine. And it's we have the, we actually haven't the, had that for ten years. <laughs> yeah, true. It's how we started. So it's the following the intuition thing, really. You know, it's like if if um we we start writing another album and it all comes out like pop smashes, we'll probably sign that. But if we come out with something that's all instrumental techno. I'm probably not going to sign that. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I think like we've got a better yeah. understanding now of, of the industry as a whole and how it does and and does not serve artists. And I think it's yeah best to take a stand on what you're releasing and which systems you want to plug into, and like how much you want to give up and delegate in return for something. You know, because um, it, it's basically like risk management, isn't it? If you're releasing an album yourself, like you're paying for everything, um, and if you want to give up the rights to it then someone else is risking their money so it's just kind of like that stuff we're more aware of now because we've got the choice to go back into it or not whereas before we were in it it's like whatever album we made that's going that's going to ireland so um yeah it's very freeing and like nice to sort of especially when technology is moving as fast as it is you know i think that that's one of the main issues that artists have with their uh, record contracts is they sign quite a long contract i mean three albums is quite short for a, a major deal so we're quite happy with that but some people most people would probably sign for five or six or more by the time you've done the first couple records the entire industry has changed like how you release music like when we signed our contract there was no subscription-based streaming services in the world it was all itunes download still cds and chart position really mattered like playlists didn't matter and so by the time we got to energy, the whole industry had changed mm-hmm. and it's not like your contract changes, mm-hmm. you know, to then change how everything's collected. Like we all know where it goes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I wrote a story last year about Quartet. Oh his, yeah. His, story. his whole thing with Domino. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 So it's a real problem. It's, you know, it's almost like we need, um, yeah, sort of, it'd be nice if you could take a stand and, and sort of edit your contract every couple of years yeah. just based on the evolution of technology moving and so And it quickly. would be nice if there was a one-size-fits-all thing, but there isn't. No, you know, it's like, like I said, when we signed, it was a very different world. And I think because we've been doing this for quite a long time, and especially because Guy has done all these Twitch streams teaching people about production and we've done like song breakdowns and things, people sort of see us as teachers of the industry and i'm like no 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 no. we don't know about the industry like we guy knows about production i know a bit about songwriting but like if you ask us how do you know if i'm an artist up and coming what should i do to get my name out there we don't know like we did myspace yeah we did myspace that worked for us i would not not advise now i would not advise that now (laughs) yeah so uh different world mate yeah Yeah. i mean it's a similar strategy always just different platform and different tech and Mm -hmm. a different way of of doing it but even harder now i mean i think the other thing as well is that like laptops are cheap now like you can get a laptop for cheap and you can start making music i think ableton's free right if you're a student or something like maybe they're, they're, yeah a lot, lot you get discounts here and there pl- free plugins everything um you know there's more people making beats than ever i think when we started there just wasn't as many people making music so there's a smaller pool of people to stand out from 
that's another huge issue you know mm. really mm. really difficult to upload your song and it go somewhere like getting off of zero to one percent is so so hard yeah getting from sort of 10 15 percent with a bit of hype to then off you go but, not, but again it's like, not as hard probably. we still don't know what we're talking i still don't know how to do it because like <laughs> nowadays you can go from that zero percent immediately to like 40 because of tiktok and you see that happen all the time but then those artists just fall off like really quickly it seems to me yeah. anyway and so it's like i don't know if it's is it like a cheat code where you can jump but then it does it's not real right i, yeah. I don't know i'm just chatting shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but it can be done you know look at fred fucking smashing it mm. And he writes his he writes his tunes. Yeah. He produces them. He sings them. He does a live show. It's just really hard to like put. An, what's the arbiter of success now? You know, I I don't know where to look to see like who's doing well. I think the the number one thing that you cannot dismiss or change is the music's got to be fucking good. Yeah, that's basically yeah. it. Yeah. And Fred's music, he's definitely writing it from a real place. Uh, he can jump around genres and still kind of smash it in the pop world. He can do like a fast trancey techno tune. He can do an ambient album. That's you know he he would be in that in that small category of people that we really respect, um, mm. who you know can do all that and that those that's mm. some of our favorite artists who can do that. So it's great to see that you know that I think that shows that there's a that it, yeah it can be traversed. It's fucking rare though and hard, but um, yeah it's 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 being done right now. Um, but yeah, it's mad that it's like one person out of millions. You know, think how many people there are making music in the world, man. There's just yeah. People don't have enough time in, of, in their day to listen to more than a few artists, mm -hmm. you know? And often you'll just listen to your favorite albums over and over again, yeah, you know? Yeah. That's all. I mean, I just pretty much every morning put on a Joni Mitchell record and <laughs> cycle to this studio. Oh, same. Yeah. It's a good decision. Yeah. Like, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> so just getting, uh, getting, how many songs are uploaded to Spotify a day? It's an insane amount. It's actually terrifying, like the amount that's uploaded. And to get yours to stand out, it's really hard. Yeah, that's right. I think I agree that a lot of the artistry seems to be missing these days. Where we're at is we're just going to prioritize our 1% of most diehard fans and just interact with them the most. That's why we have the Discord. That's why I was doing Twitch with all the production breakdowns. Because, you know, that's probably 20,000, 30,000 people. And if we can make them happy for another 10, 20 years, we're good. And then people who just want to, <clears throat> you know, come and hear Latch in a field every couple of years in a festival, we'll do that too. Um, but if you can sort of really take care of those people and give them the extra thing they're looking for, for being a fan, um, I think we really felt that <clears throat> with the release of this record by doing the pub thing. We did these exclusive listening sessions in, uh, in Dalston um, that was just here's the album up front, like mega diehard fan who's been listening to us for years and got the early ticket. You get the reward. It's a really nice way like of, of cultivating um, like sort of the hype around it is just mm. really focus on the people who fucking love yeah. what you do. Because um, another thing we realized very recently is that our fan base are just really nice. Yeah. Like all Those the people that are so fans nice. of us are just lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and so like we have kind of a unique opportunity there to like socialize with our fans and like do events where we can speak face to face. And like, you know, we did these album listening parties where people would ask questions about the album and we would just sit in a pub talking to them about it. And I think a lot of artists wouldn't do that, you know, and, and when with good reason, because they have like fans that are either like crazy and obsessive and just a bit weird or like, <laughs> or like dangerous and aggressive. Yeah. Like, I don't want any of that. I want people who are like, Hey man, so what's the album about? And you're like, okay, cool. We can talk. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, that's a, 
something that you uh whatever happens with technology you know if you can cultivate your most diehard one two five percent of fans that are always listening you'll be you'll be good like forever you'll be always be able to do some really cool important events and then you can film those and put them out into the wild why wider world and uh people will still probably come watch us in, at a festival mm. next year <laughs> i actually was not aware of your your discord can you just tell me a little bit yeah about sure that yeah because i actually i don't see that happening very much in techno so it's mm. cool oh i mean it should be because uh i feel like people who, who love techno like me often kind of are musicians and make it right because it's a very specific type of music and uh often people who are into that are quite tech savvy and uh i've, I've found that discord it is a bit of a nerdy world like it originated as a sort of forum to talk about gaming yeah uh, it looks super nerdy it looks like, yeah it looks I, like reddit or a chat room or this something. is something we're talking about now is like you know trying to find a sort of more user-friendly platform that can house that direct because what it is is direct artist to fan connection with no intermediary like you've just got a bunch of rooms in your server so the disclosure server lives there and then there are different topics to jump in and talk about text channels to talk in voice channels to have a conversation in there's a whole folder there where you can submit your demos where we will listen oh that's cool um, yeah and, and sometimes you know i'll go like live like go live on instagram go live in the discord and listen to the songs live and just give the feedback that they're after and there are there are about sixteen thousand people in it now and i think it was the best thing that we could have possibly done during covid was mm. was cultivate that because that is, is those people i'm talking about like those diehard fans who are so into what we do that they want to have the opportunity to speak to us mm. um and that's where it is happening right now now mm. it's still done through discord which is its own entity like how you have all these entities right you have twitter now x you have facebook you have instagram you have discord like we are trying to think of a way where we can just bring them all into one basically disclosure fan club and all exist and those people get rewarded for being proper diehard fans. yeah because there's just such a vast array of fans um yeah. which is beautiful to see but like you know the the person who's asking the question like um are you going to play creamfields compared to the person who's saying like oh yeah that line on the in the second chorus of that song on your first album like does that mean this you know like that person deserves more attention like they're they're paying more attention to the album and so i want to give them more attention back and discord's been a really cool way of like just casually yeah, discord's the way of getting hold of them and talking yeah. to them but there's no way of like rewarding someone yeah, in discord yeah. you can basically give them like a colorful name and rank them in like terms of commitment that's that's basically it and um it, I, we'd like to f and we are figuring out we're trying to build with with uh, certain companies don't want to go into it yet but a way of being a member of the disclosure like fan club basically kind of like a patreon sort of like patreon but again not through patreon like not through someone it should just be us yeah. and them there just should be someone who builds us something that we own and we take care of it all. And your membership gets you early tickets, mm. early merch, discounts this, some songs that only live in that place. Obviously, we still broadcast to the wider world. That would be crazy not to. But the extended mixes of something, the instrumentals of something, this is it. This is the only place you can get it. And just bring everyone in a little bit more, you know, instead of just having to do the whole here's the back of my head on stage while I'm DJing to the festival. Like, yeah. totally. It's just, you know, it's been done a lot. And I think we, we think that, you know, everyone's sort of talking about that's the way of the world and how it's moving to is everything's moving to subscription based models, right? Whether it's streaming platforms themselves 
um i think you'll just sort of see artists do that a bit more now um you know it's it it makes sense if you want that direct connection with your core fan base mm -hmm. um to bring them in somewhere i i i know um a couple of comedians who who have like they've been going since the 90s and they have email lists that date back to the 90s you know the ability to email that many people at once yeah. of just i'm playing here and the people receiving it will actually bloody read it because they like they love the person you just want that but you want the user interface to be amazing and like really fun and like great to use like instagram is so great and addictive to use you yeah. want to build something like that where everyone can post and hang out but mm. all under the umbrella of disclosure world because like i'm a huge fan of loads of different musicians that i would love to connect with in that way but i'm just not nerdy enough to understand something like discord you know like i understand the basic premise of it but without guy having explained it to me and like shown me what to do as a fan i would never have gone on it yeah um, i it basically needs to be like howard has his own personal instagram page which is public and i i don't i just have disclosure and a private one but this would be like i want it to be so easy that basically everything you're doing on instagram you just do in disclosure world yeah, yeah. and that's the people who see it are our, like lovely loyal fans and just start to cultivate that and see what happens it'll be like a really fun experiment i think to see what happens when you really tailor mm. and give those people like an extra layer and level of experience you know and they just feel taken care of because they've been with us now for like 10 12 years yeah it should so, be easy for them you know like yeah. the people who are really that committed to the music and have invested their time in us like we should make it as easy as possible for them to take whatever they want because we want to give it to them as well you know yeah. like if someone wants to know some technical question about a thing like we're more than happy to answer that but it's just having the the medium to do it yeah but definitely mm -hmm. check it out check out the discord because yeah no, it's, like a, it. it's a great idea on a closing note looking back on your career what is the biggest lesson you've learned either creatively personally both well creatively i think we already said it is do everything on your own terms probably like most musicians you hear who have had success writing music and their music's gone out to the world and been appreciated have mostly said, you know, that just came from a very real place. It wasn't contrived. It wasn't formulated. It wasn't <clears throat> constructed in a business model kind of way. So just really right from the heart. Um, yeah. And I think that applies to the, the other question as well. You know, it's just like, just be yourself and like bravely. And sometimes it's scary to do that because you think people might not like what you are really, but same musically, you know, it's like you write what you write and if people like it, that's great. Don't try and tinker with that. Like just, just keep being you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's a, like a Rick Rubin quote or something. Probably someone, he, someone really articulate can say it way better than me. Yeah. Whatever he said about that insert clip. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is true. That, and that, that is, it's great advice. I be think. yourself, basically. I guess. <laughs> Sum it yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. Just be yourself. <laughs> yeah. But you know, work fucking hard as well, man. That's mm. what I would say. We've worked our asses off, like yeah. touring especially, but even with writing music, like it's uh, it's pretty all consuming, but it doesn't matter when you love it because, uh, you know, it's, I've always said um, when I was working like in a pub, like when I was a kid, well, not a kid, that'd be illegal, when I was a teenager <laughs> <laughs> um, or like a clove shop or whatever, I had a few little jobs. Um, I would go home and make music as my hobby and uh, all that's happened is it's just freed up time for me to do my hobby all the time. But mm -hmm. it still is a hobby. I don't want to sit down at this desk and at the studio and go like must make song for growth or for, mm -hmm. for this or mm -hmm. for that. It just should be fun still always. Um, so try and keep that mentality, you know, remember the reason you started, is that reason still there? 
If not, why? Try and bring it back if you can. Keep it fun, keep it fresh and lighthearted. And uh, yeah, just uh, try and put as much of yourself out there as you can, you know, really try and get it into the music because that seems to has, has worked best for us, at least. You know, I think we know the songs that we sort of connect with the most that really felt just like a stream of consciousness. And those ones have always done like the best, which is quite interesting. I think a lot of musicians say that. I've seen uh, Chris Martin say that, right? He's sat at the piano, wrote something shit, sat at the piano again, wrote something shit, wrote something again, exact same process, wrote yellow. It's like nothing changed in the process, but you just keep doing it and keep doing it and practice, mm. work really hard. And they do come to you. It's like you sort of got to just channel them out. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. You. It's been really nice speaking with you both. And you. Thank you for listening to this RA Exchange for the Disclosure. Many thanks to Jody Lucky for facilitating this interview and to Guy and Howard Lawrence for the fun and easygoing conversation. The track playing in the outro of this episode is Sun Showers from their latest album, Alchemy, which is out now. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the RA Exchange and listen to our full archive of conversations on ra.co or on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. If you have ideas for guests you'd like to hear on the podcast or stories you'd like to share, please send us an email at exchange at ra.co. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care.